0: Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. So this morning's message is entitled Church on the Mount, Set a Table for a King, Set a table for a king. You know, it's interesting to note that we have spent an entire year in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is an incredible, not only teaching, but what's amazing about it is what Jesus is walking out. It's interesting to note that Jesus is from the line of David, the beloved king of Israel. He's in the direct lineage of David, and so is Mary. And what Jesus does is, is when he steps into his earthly ministry, he goes through the water, he goes through a season of testing in the wilderness, and then he goes up onto a mountain, and he delivers a new vision for a new kingdom of which he's the king. And that's what the Sermon on the Mount is. And what's interesting to note is, if you know the Older Testament, you know that that's exactly what Moses went through. It's also what Israel went through. And so what Jesus does is he is now casting a new vision for a new kingdom and a new people. And so when you think about it in that understanding, we have come to really settle into the Sermon on the Mount, because if you want to know what it looks like to live in the kingdom of which Jesus is the king, that is what the Sermon on the Mount is all about And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to stand together and we're going to pray the prayer of the kingdom. It's known as the Our Father or the Lord's Prayer. So I'm gonna ask that all of us would stand together and we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer out loud together. Are you ready? Are you ready? Here we go. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth in Charlottesville as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now I want you to turn, give your neighbor a high five, hug, fist bump, handshake, greet one another, say good morning. Again, this morning's message is entitled, Church on the Mount, Set a Table for a King. Church on the Mount, Set a Table for a King. I want you to think about the last time someone invited you to their home, or you invited someone to maybe meet you at the dining hall on grounds, maybe you were inviting someone into your apartment, maybe to your dorm room, The idea being, though, is that there was a context in which someone had made an invitation to other people and you were involved. My wife, Fran, she loves to host people. It's like one of her favorite things. By the way, this is a table from our house and some chairs from our home. She was very frustrated with this sermon illustration, just so you know. And so what you end up doing is, have you ever gone to a house, and when you walk through the door, everything's set? There's something about hospitality that lets you know you're loved, you're expected, someone has been looking for you, and that you are noticed. By the way, in our home, if Fran invites you over, there's about a 99% chance you're going to get ice cream. Just how it works. I think Jesus ate ice cream. And um, if you're really close to God, it'll be chocolate. Somehow, there's going to be chocolate involved. But the idea here is, is that hospitality and opening up a table and inviting people into your private space does something. It's incredibly powerful. I've been invited into people's homes. We've invited people into ours. Funny story, I remember the story of a friend of mine who was six foot six and he was a pastor. And there was this one lady who invited all of the pastoral team over to his house except for him. And finally one day he couldn't take it anymore and he said to her, how come you don't invite me over? And she said, you're so tall you can see on top of my fridge and I'm short and afraid of heights and it's covered in dust and I would never want you to see that. There's two types of hospitality. One is actually more concerned about you and how the place setting looks, how amazing the food is. Another type of hospitality is where you care about people. There's a huge difference. And I'm not saying the house ought to be a mess. But what I'm saying is a lot of hospitality gets thwarted because it's about you, not about others. And so what we're going to find this morning is that the Gospels call us to set a table for a king. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read one of the teachings from the Sermon on the Mount. It's a teaching where Jesus calls us as people into his kingdom to love people that are not lovable. Take a moment. I want you to think about an unlovable person in your life. Just take a moment. Now turn and look at them. All right, here we go. Here's what Jesus said. Casting a new vision for a new kingdom. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. In other words, God loves unlovable people. And if he's your father, then act like one of his kids. I have a son, his name's Peter, and he preaches quite a bit. And People will say, when your son gets up there, his mannerisms are just like yours. It's creepy. (laughs) But the idea is, that's how God calls us through Christ to be like him. He's our father, we're his kids. And Jesus goes on in the teaching and says he meaning god causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends right rain on the righteous and the unrighteous in other words god blesses people no matter what reading on if you love those who love you what reward will you get are not even the tax collectors doing that and if you greet only your own people people just like you your your peeps your your tribe whatever if if You only greet them. What are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Man, what a teaching. Now, what I know is, is if you're type A, you're now completely myopic on and focused on that last phrase, be perfect as God is perfect. And you go, what's the point? I'm out. Well, here's the thing. The word perfect in Greek is the Greek word teleos and it actually has more of an understanding of maturity. It's where you've gone through a process to become what you are supposed to become. Mature is probably a better word. In other words, God has God's place in the world. God does what God does but you have yours too. And Jesus expects you to grow into that and to mature into that and become what God wants you to be. A great way of using the Greek word teleos would be, I grew up on a farm, and when the wheat had gone through all of its stages of planting, and then it grew, and then it turns golden, we would look at our fields and say, the, the fields of wheat are now mature. That's teleos. You've been through the process. You become what you're supposed to become. And so when the text says, be mature or perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, it's that idea that you've been through the process. Here's one that's a little closer to home for most of us. And that is this. Are you a student on grounds at UBA? Raise your hand. Just kind of look around. Grad, undergrad. If you graduate, you're going to go through this. I've watched it three times on grounds with my three kids. And that is, You will stand with your department, and the dean will say to the president of the university, These group of women and men or people, they have gone through the process of attaining all of the classes that are needed for graduation. And the dean will say, I present to you, and say that. That's maturity. It's where you've been through four years, you've proven yourself, you've gone through the rigor and the difficulty of accomplishing that. Now, what we find now is that Jesus says something that's really fascinating. He says at the end of this little teaching, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Now, I want you to think for a moment. If you're a student on grounds, the next time you go to the dining hall, I want to challenge you with something. And that is look for someone who's sitting alone, invite in. What reward will you get if you love those who love you? That's a given. What about the next time you put together maybe a guest list for your house and you're going to invite people over? Why not invite someone that you don't know or don't know well? Now, as we kind of dive in a little bit deeper into Scripture, one of the things that we're encouraging us to do, and you saw it in the announcements, is that all of us would consider the table that we have. And consider using this table for the kingdom of God where you would invite people to come into your home, into your dorm room, into your apartment, maybe meeting you at a dining hall or whatever the case may be, but you're going to invite people in because of the kingdom and ultimately what you're going to do is set the table for a king. The table will really be set for Jesus because you're in his kingdom, by the way, a quick funny aside. The last queen of England that just passed away, the old saying was, everywhere she went smelled like paint. Did you get what that meant? Yeah. Everyone had spent like a month scrubbing and cleaning and painting everything and getting everything together and painting every room she went in smelled like brand new paint. And I wonder how you'd feel. Hmm, Think of all that preparation. Think of all the expectation and the anticipation. Hospitality does that for everyone. If someone invites you to a setting, they've noticed you, they care about you. And here's the other thing I don't completely understand, but I know it's true. And one of my mentors taught me this every time you meet with a group of people to talk about the kingdom, have food. Don't you agree? And if you're really righteous, it'll involve chocolate. And if you're totally righteous, it'll be chocolate ice cream. Just extremely important there. But the idea then is, somehow, some way, Jesus makes this call that you're supposed to love people that hate you. That you're supposed to reach out past your comfort zone and gather your life around and gather people in who aren't like you. They're different than what you are. Now, it's interesting to note When Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Now, here's what we need to know. In in the time of Jesus, the most despised people in all of Israel were tax collectors. They were the Benedict Arnolds of the Jewish faith and the Jewish people. And the reason why is, is they had hired themselves out to the Roman Empire to collect taxes from Jews and give it to Romans. Now picture that. Not only that, if you're a chief tax collector, you would get in a bidding war with other people to win the franchise for which you'd become the owner of a region of Israel, and you would collect the taxes, and you would keep some for yourself. And oh, by the way, if someone refused to pay, you would just tell the Roman army to go in and kill them all and burn their house down. So, your tax collector despised. Jesus says that even tax collectors gather together and they kind of care for each other. Even those untouchable, unclean, despicable human beings, they even do that. And Jesus says in his kingdom, we're called to greater things. Now, as I was doing a deep dive into this whole thought of opening up our tables for the kingdom and being a person who invites people in, I came across this weird story in the Older Testament. Here at City, we always look at the Older Testament and the Newer Testament and every message. Well, I found this story in the Older Testament that involved King David from which Jesus is a descendant. King David is the beloved king of Israel, and where we're getting ready to read, David has now, um, he's the king of, of Israel it's a time of peace. It's a good time in his rule and in his reign. And there's this odd little story that lasts 12 verses about a decision he makes. And David, we find in 2 Samuel 9, chapter 9 verses 1 through 12, it involves a guy named Mashibatheth. Now, for those of you who maybe are pregnant at the moment, trust me, you will not name your kid Meshibatheth. Say it five times fast. You can't. Now, the idea is is that David is now king of Israel, and he does something with the table in his home that is shocking. David, for whatever reason, makes a decision, and it begins with asking a question. It says, David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Let me explain. Saul was the prior king of Israel who had done everything he possibly could to kill David. David had escaped him. Saul was actually killed, and almost all of his family was wiped out. By the way, oftentimes, ancient kings, when they overtook another king, would make sure their entire family was slaughtered. So David's now king, and he makes a strange decision. And he asks a question of the people around him. Is there anyone from the house of Saul, his mortal enemy, that is still alive? And in verse 3, we find out, the king asks, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? That's strange. David, as king, is making a decision to show kindness to some family member of his mortal enemy. And Ziba answered the king, there still is a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. And then David meets, Jonathan, or David meets this young guy named Meshibatheth. What do you think Mashibatheth thinks David's going to do? Thinks he's going to kill him. And so as we read the story in 9-7... It says, don't be afraid, David said to this young man, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, David, I, and I will restore all the land that belonged to your father, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Strange. Then you read on in verse nine, ten. 10, it says it again, and Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. And then it says it again. So Meshiveth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And then reading on in verse 13, it it reads it again. It says, he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. What do you think this guy ended up doing? Where did he eat? At the king's table. And David just kind of comes out of nowhere and says, I'm gonna take my mortal enemy's grandson and I'm gonna bring him into my house. And the text says he literally treats him like a son. It's powerful. Why does David do this for the sake of the kingdom? He's going to show his enemy God's kindness. Now, I cannot prove to us that this passage of Scripture affects what we're getting ready to read, but I do think that Jesus, in the lineage of David, he would have known this story. And somehow, some way, that story informs what Jesus does. Now let's pick up our final reading before we close. What we're getting ready to read is when Jesus calls Matthew to be a disciple. And here's what the text tells us, that Jesus, after doing a very sophisticated teaching on forgiveness, he leaves the house where he heals a paralyzed man. He's been teaching on forgiveness, and he exits that house, and he walks out what forgiveness actually looks like. And how he does it is Matthew 9, 9 through 13. And in verse 9, it says the following, the calling of Matthew. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the, where's he working? He's the most despised man in the entire region of Israel. Everyone hates him. If you're a zealot, your goal spiritually would be to kill him. And the text says that Jesus teaches on forgiveness and he goes to the tax collector's booth and the guy's in the middle of collecting taxes and Jesus says to him, what? Follow me. And Matthew got up and followed and while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. Now, here's one thing that we need to know is that at the time of Jesus, there was this movement in Judaism that had become very extreme. Some of it was based upon the dietary laws for the Jewish people. The Old Testament tells us God wanted a peculiar people, and as part of that, they had specific things they could eat and they couldn't eat. And so what we find at the time of Jesus, though, is that those dietary laws had grown way past the intended purpose. And now what would happen is when a righteous Jew met to eat or invited people into their house, they would make sure that everyone that sat in those chairs were as righteous as they were. And there was this sense that if you sat at the table and you ate with someone and they were spiritually off, their spiritual cooties would jump on you. Literally, it's what it is. And so at the time of Jesus, loving your neighbor meant that you would handpick all the people that were righteous, you would invite them, you may eat with them and break bread with them, but they were essentially you multiplied. And now what Jesus does is, Jesus shows up and he calls Matthew to be his disciple and the text says he's literally sitting in Matthew's home eating dinner. It's completely unheard of. But he's demonstrating the love of God and the forgiveness of God, physically. And the scripture goes on to tell us that he's there eating in Matthew, the tax collector's house. And verse 11 says, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now in hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but me and you, sinners. That's why I've come. And so as we think about putting feet to our faith with this message, I'd like us to think very carefully about who we eat with. Now, here's what I believe. I believe that in Jesus' Jesus's kingdom involves setting tables for people who are outside your comfort zone and don't love you. I don't mean they hate you, but they don't love you. They don't know you. And what we discover that Jesus is doing is so spiritually countercultural that people can't believe it. Jesus is sitting at a table eating a meal with people who are spiritually contaminated. But here's what I believe is true that when you eat with people and you break bread with them, and I don't know how it works, but it does, and you turn your conversation to the kingdom, stuff happens that's powerful. It's amazing especially when you open your home or your dorm room or your apartment. You invite people in. You break bread with them. My son Peter did this when he was on grounds at UVA. He had some friends of his that were not Jesus followers and they knew he was a pastor's kid, so they asked him once, would you be willing to kind of hold a discussion group? And so what Peter did was actually really, really smart. He called me up. He said, Dad, I want to set up a little kitchen in my room. So I went over. A friend of mine installed kitchens. I got a chunk of granite. We put it over his radiator up into the window cove, and he got one of those big griddles. And he cooked eggs and bacon. And he would leave the door of his lawn room open, and the smell of eggs and bacon would waft out onto the lawn room. And people walking by would stick their heads in and go, what's that? And he'd say, you can have some and sit down and we're going to read the gospel of Matthew. Isn't that awesome? Now, I don't know if you've ever been a college student, but if someone will make you food, you would attack hell with a squirt gun to get that food. (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about, right? Now, when you think about the call of Jesus, it's not complicated It's not complicated. You don't have to be a theologian to do this. It's about prayerfully putting together a list of where you invite people into your world and you break bread with them and you have a conversation about the kingdom. Now, what we're going to be doing here at City is we're going to be empowering our church family to do this. As you saw in the announcement video, we're going to be putting together Six videos that will deal with answering the question, what is the good life? By the way, that was a common question at the time of Jesus, philosophically. And many of Jesus' parables answer that question. What's the good life? And so what we're gonna simply do is encourage people to host people at a table. You'll watch an eight to 10 minute video on the parable and then you'll talk about it. My wife and I, And another couple that goes to city have already committed to do this in our neighborhood. Where we're going to open our home, we're going to invite people over to talk about the good life and what does Jesus have to say. I want to encourage you to consider doing the same. Now, in the chair under you or in the seat pocket in front of you, there is a slip of paper with a QR code. I want to encourage you to take that with you or you could take out your smartphone and click on that qr code one side is is if you're feeling led by the lord to be a host another one is if you just sign up to be part of a group you might not be able to host one but you'd want to be part of one there are simple sign up forms pastor keith who's heading this up will be a part of kind of getting you connected and trained and supported in the right way and so we're encouraging you to step out of your comfort zone to step out for the kingdom, to do like King David did and maybe invite someone in that isn't your favorite person. But what we're encouraging is you wouldn't go through the list of people that have a monogram Bible and are a deacon at their church. Instead, look for people who are maybe outside of faith or they're looking over the wall of faith and just invite them in to have a meal and to talk about the kingdom. Would you stand with me? Can we take a moment to close our eyes? I don't know where you're at as far as your consideration of Jesus and his kingdom. Maybe you've been in the kingdom for decades. Maybe you're just kind of looking over the wall at faith and checking it out. Wherever you're at, I would encourage you in this moment Just to simply, by faith, open up your heart to God. Ask God to speak to you. Ask God the Father to reveal his Son.